Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. It's beginning to look and feel a lot like Christmas. It's also time for the PNC Christmas Price Index. PNC's Christmas Price Index is calculated using a method similar to the government's Consumer Price Index, CPI, and measures the cost of buying the gifts given in the song, The 12 Days of Christmas. By way of comparison, the government's CPI measures the cost of goods and services for consumers. Each month, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reports on the CPI. Since those numbers are tied to inflation, they tend to be indicators on interest rates. That's important to taxpayers since the tax code provides for mandatory annual adjustments to certain tax items based on interest rates. PNC has figured its CPI each year since 1984. The Christmas Price Index was developed for inclusion in a holiday message to clients. Now designed to share and educate all consumers, the PNC CPI continues to highlight market changes over time. To talk about it, I've asked Amanda Agati about this year's list. Amanda is the Chief Investment Strategist for the PNC Financial Services Group. In this role, she oversees all investment strategy-related activities for the Institutional Asset Management, Wealth Management, and Hawthorne Ultra High Net Worth businesses totaling approximately $150 billion in assets under management as of December 31st, 2017. In addition, she helps lead the team that establishes overall strategic and tactical asset allocation guidance of client portfolios, manages the evolution of investment processes, provides thought leadership on key investment issues, and is the author of numerous publications. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So right out of the gate, the list looks a lot different this year. Um, there's a huge decrease from last year. Why is that? Well, we really felt strongly that we wanted to acknowledge the challenges that many arts organizations, not only across the country, but across the globe are facing this year in particular with the mandated uh, shutdowns, the social distancing requirements and so on. And the ability to gather for live performances is really just not what it has been in prior years. It isn't that certain arts organizations aren't finding creative ways to engage through virtual presentations. There is still some of that activity happening, but we really felt strongly that we wanted to acknowledge the challenges there. And so that is really kind of a key driver of the decline in this year's Christmas price index, you know, with a third of the index constituents literally, you know, not available for purchase by the true love. You know, we're talking about the nine ladies dancing, the 10 lords leaping, the 11 pipers and the 12 drummers. That had a very significant impact on the overall cost of the index. So important to take that into consideration given how unprecedented of a year 2020 is but have to take it a little bit of it, of it with a grain of salt relative to guidance around inflation, a uh, little bit of a disconnect perhaps uh, with that calculation relative to what we're seeing in the broader market. 
And what are we seeing in the markets with respect to inflation? Well, if you look at the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, Consumer Price Index, it has really surprised to the downside over the course of 2020 and frankly, over the last few years as well. It's been averaging about 1.3% over the past year versus the Federal Reserve's 2% longer term target over time. And so when you exclude those performances, Um, the items that were really unavailable in our view uh, due to COVID-19, we still saw a 2.9% increase in the PNC Christmas price index. And so the drivers of inflation in our calculation have really come in the food and let's call it exotic pet categories. Mm -hmm. So while this may seem a little bit like based on our calculation, Inflation is already here and potentially problematic. That 2.9% number is quite large relative to the Fed's long-run target. We really think the categories depicted here are quite narrow and quite specialized. And so in our view, again, take it with a little bit of a grain of salt that this isn't indicative of a broad-based inflation spike that policymakers need to be worried about just yet. Right. And you uh, mentioned when you were talking just now about animals, and I actually noted on the list that the birds in particular had increased in price from last year, some of them pretty considerably. What was the reason for that? Well, there are a couple of things going on here. So I think uh, you have to think back to what happened in the spring a little bit to tie it to what's going on in the broader market. I mean, we really didn't have a lot of advance notice for shutting down the global economy. I mean, I I remember vividly thinking, oh, this really isn't going to happen, right? And so in a matter of a couple of weeks, we're suddenly kind of locking down the country for kind of an unknown period of time. And so over the course of the spring, uh, consumers really struggled to uh, eat at restaurants or even get takeout at various points. And we Mm -hmm. really did uh, strictly lock down economic activity. And so, of course, that drove an increased need for cooking at home. And so we are kind of tying this one a little bit to the unexpected increase in demand and, of course, an increase in prices for some of our fowl friends, the French hens, the geese in particular, very significant supply demand imbalance that you know farmers were certainly not prepared for uh, going into the lockdowns in the spring. And then, uh, two, another kind of secular story that's been taking hold here pre-pandemic, certainly, is this trend toward backyard farming and free-range farming. And so, with many other trends that we've seen kind of be accelerated by the pandemic this year, we also think that trend toward backyard farming took hold as well. And so, net-net, we think that's really kind of the key drivers of why the birds have really represented the largest price increases in the index uh, year over year. I was actually surprised as well to note that there was no change in the price of the gold rings. And I say that because my dad is actually someone who buys gold. And I know that at the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of people were suggesting that gold was the way to go and prices seemed to be on the upswing. So why did those end up uh, not really changing in price? Well, we actually did see an increase in the gold rings, my personal favorite gift, <laughs> the, 12, the 12 days of Christmas, certainly. But we did not see the gold rings uh, appreciate to the same degree 
as the gold commodity itself. And okay. so if you think about back in the springtime, really we saw uh, correlations across the multi-asset class universe. So equities, fixed income, commodities all start to converge towards one. Everything kind of fell apart at the same time, effectively. And so in the spring, there really was a dash for store of value assets. One of those was very much gold, the physical commodity. As the recovery started to take hold over the course of the summer and then really kind of gained some steam into the fall, um, there were expectations that inflation was going to creep into markets. It hasn't materialized as of yet. We've seen inflation move up a bit, but again, not to the point that we think it's problematic or concerning. So when you look at gold, uh, the physical commodity, it traded up something like 40% from the trough of this year to the peak, but has retraced some of that rally as the market has recovered here into the end of the year and inflation fears have subsided. So not a perfect correlation necessarily between the commodities and the gold rings themselves, but definitely uh, we saw prices increase there. So definitely going to be uh, you know, having to pay up a bit. That true love is going to have to pay up to buy <laughs> those five gold rings this year. Right. And it seems like, um, you know, I'm sure every year there's, it's a bit of a challenge to, to put the list together, but it feels like listening to you talk and looking at the numbers that this year was probably a little more maybe uh, intensive on the labor side than in prior years uh, in terms of kind of getting these numbers together just because of things changing so quickly and and even from you know the the beginning of the pandemic to now so did you have any particular difficulties in ascertaining values and and I know you we talked earlier about the fact that you made the decision not to include some of the categories because of social distancing and the pandemic but you know how, how much discussion went into that decision and sort of how did you land on the values for this year's list? Like, was it a really labor intensive or was it something that you looked at and you're like, this is just very, very practical. This is how we're going to do it. Well, we're, we're, it's always a labor of love. Let me say that in terms okay. of looking at the analysis and uh, getting the, the research done every year. I have uh, someone on my investment strategy team who's been our personal shopper for the Christmas price index for many, many years. Big shout out to Rebecca McCann for helping us pull the uh, analysis together every year. She actually goes back to, uh, as much as possible, these same sources year in and year out. So in the case of the performers, as an example, um, we always talk to Philadelphia-based Philodanko. We talk to the Pennsylvania Ballet. For some of the birds, we talk to hatcheries that are in the Philly area, the Philly region. And so we really do try to go back to the same sources year in and year out to try and get more of a consistent pattern or feel for how prices and inflation are moving over time. So that's not really the hard part necessarily because we have our go-tos. Right. The hard part this year was kind of making sense of, and I think you could you could say this about the market more broadly and even the economy too, how do we make sense of the insanity that has been 2020? And so we tried really hard this year to connect the changes that we made in terms of the analysis, the inclusions or exclusions, and then trying to bring the rationale to life as much as we could to connect with what we're living and breathing and feeling as consumers 
in the broader economy. You know, it's a very niche type of analysis, right? Sure, I recognize yeah. <laughs> that, you know, not everybody's going out looking for five gold rings. Maybe it's just one or a turtle dove or some uh, special or unique gift from the 12 days of Christmas. And so it always is a bit of a challenge to tie it to, you know, the broader economy and, and what's happening more broadly speaking, because it is so specialized. But there's there's a number of clear connections that we have found over the course of this year. Certainly, we talked about in terms of the birds, in particular, in the supply demand dynamics there, you could tie that certainly to the run on toilet paper in the spring as well, right? Mm -hmm. Producers were not well prepared for the lockdowns and the supply demand imbalances that ensued right at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, other things that we uh, find are very much relevant are thinking about e-commerce. And so you'll see in uh, the analysis that we did, we have a traditional PNC Christmas price index, and then we also have an internet version. This is very relevant in general, but even more so this year, given the challenges around traditional shopping methods. Uh, you know, we think consumers are very much likely to rely more so on e-commerce related channels, in particular shopping online. We've seen that shift start to occur uh, over the last cycle or so. Indeed, about 20% of e-commerce activity and transactions in the U.S. out of the the total kind of retail sales backdrop Mm -hmm. are focused there. But this year in particular, it will be very interesting to see how fast the pandemic accelerates additional adoption around e-commerce activity. So that'll be an important one to watch following the end of the holiday shopping season. That was something that actually did strike me because I've been reporting on the Christmas price index for a few years now. And the internet one has always seemed kind of kicky to me, but I still, you know, my kids like going into a store to pick out something for their dad, right? So, but but this year is it's just different for everyone. I don't think that our family has gotten a single gift not online. Um, and, and that includes my kids. Exactly. Yeah. It's out of necessity, not necessarily out of, you know, personal choice. And so it'll be very interesting to see as things unfold here, whether that will have staying power or stickiness. Will it be a short-term phenomenon or will it fundamentally shift consumer behavior? So that's an important one to watch. The other thing that's sort of interesting about this year is the potential pendulum swinging back from a very services-oriented holiday shopping season to more Mm goods-oriented. So this is, if I zoom out again and think about secular trends, the the U.S. economy has shifted really dramatically over time from a more goods-oriented economy to a services-oriented one. Well, perfect example with this year's Christmas price index is the challenge in actually performing services. So it's either live performances or even salons and spas, you know, gift cards for uh, services and experiences. You can still get gift cards, but you aren't going to be cashing those gift cards in anytime soon, given the lingering effects of the pandemic. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how much of a shift back or how much of the pendulum swinging back from services and experiences to goods we see this holiday shopping season. 
I agree. And I also wonder if we're going to see some more of the services also being delivered online and not only services like legal services and accounting services, but I know that uh, several of the advocates for the arts, including a lot of folks on Broadway, have thought about ways to bring performances into homes because people aren't able to go out. So we're seeing like, you know, I subscribe to Broadway HD online and they have been um, definitely ramping up their catalog of what's being made available. And I think you see that too with like Disney Plus and um, uh, some of the the musicals and and other kinds of performances that are becoming digital and movies that are coming directly into homes instead of going to cinemas. So it will be interesting to see if that becomes a longer term trend because, you know, there's something really special about going out to to a theater, but I also, being a mom, kind of like the idea that I can put my kids on the sofa and we can watch something together in our home. So it will be interesting to see if that kind of trend remains. And as well as things like Zoom, legal services, virtual conferences, that sort of thing. Absolutely. The, the ability to leverage technology in all these different ways this year in response to the challenges that we've faced with the pandemic and the economic shutdowns, it's just been really amazing to see the creativity and ingenuity mm-hmm. of many organizations trying to leverage technology to kind of keep the lights on and, and keep the arts alive in particular. So it will be very interesting to see again how much staying power that hi- that that has once we get kind of post pandemic my guess is that it'll end up being somewhere in the middle mm-hmm. there's no no real replacement for going to see a live performance sure. and experiencing it question is you know at what point will consumers you know really feel comfortable kind of going back to um, a stadium or a theater or some way, shape or form. It feels like that's still a ways off, unfortunately. Right. right. And another um, area that I'm seeing pivot is delivery services because, you know, we, we're very used to FedEx and UPS and, and the mail, but now there are a lot more couriers that are delivering, even though we were already seeing that in some ways, like with Uber Eats. And it's interesting because you noted in your CPI um, index that, you know, there's no free shipping for livestock, you know, right now. <laughs> that's right. There's no Amazon Prime, right? For turtle doves. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) But you wonder if those kinds of things aren't coming. So, and maybe not, you know, Amazon Prime for turtle doves, but we are seeing more and more delivery services and and a great example. So I'm also in Pennsylvania. We have really strict liquor laws in Pennsylvania. And uh, with the, you know, unlike some, I'm from North Carolina and North Carolina, you can easily go and, and buy beer and wine in any grocery store and convenience store. And that's not always the case here in Pennsylvania. We've been taking baby steps, but I did see that um, you can actually have wine and beer and now some spirits even delivered, which is different for our state. So I, and I, I completely believe that it's related to, you know, there's, there's the industries are asking for ways to continue to deliver products. So I do think like delivery services are something that we're seeing a spike in. And I'm wondering if that will continue because there are some kinds of delivery services that, you know, are very traditional that are seeing, we're seeing new again. We've had our dairy delivered for a while, but I know our um, dairy delivery guy was mentioning that they are, they're busier now than they ever have been. And you wonder if that kind of thing is going to stick, right? These different ways of delivering services and goods. 
You have to think that that is going to have some real staying power for sure. I mean, the, the convenience associated with getting almost anything delivered A to Z in terms of deliveries is just really a game changer. Uh, and so my expectation is that that will certainly have some staying power. The challenge with it is you're going to pay for it, right? Yes. So it's, mm-hmm. it's uh, that's one area where we're seeing really significant increase in cost or i.e. inflation. When you look at the difference between our traditional Christmas price index calculation and the internet version, it's a little over $4,000 additional uh, to, to spend to get the items in True Love's um, shopping list delivered. Right. Again, you know, there's a little bit of specialization and uniqueness to some of the items in the list. Like it's very challenging to uh, ship birds, you know, livestock. Mm-hmm. And so you're definitely going to pay up for that. Um, but I think, you know, this year in particular, we're going to see pretty significant increases or additional increases in shipping expenses because even before the holiday shopping season kicked off, we were hearing from UPS and FedEx and even the Postal Service that they were operating near maximum capacity just to kind of go through the normal course of the year. And so very, very significant increase in activity here post-Thanksgiving, with the traditional kickoff of the holiday shopping season. I think, you know, prices are certainly going to rise and the time, the turnaround time, you know, the delivery times uh, may certainly be pushed out a bit, but but definitely a critical part of the story out of necessity as more consumers are shopping online. But I think just as a convenience going forward, certainly here to stay. Yeah. And I think that with prices going up, it will be interesting to see kind of what the sweet spot is on that, because One of the things we always think about in the tax and accounting profession is the time value of money. And there is definitely a savings to me as a working mom um, to have someone deliver my groceries because that's time that I didn't have to get in my car, drive out there, get my kids together, get back to the house and put those things away. So there definitely is a price that I think people are willing to pay that maybe they haven't been used to because of. Amazon Prime and and those kinds of free deliveries. But I, I wonder where that's going to land because I can't imagine it going back to nobody getting groceries delivered. Like I think that there's going to be a place where we're still going to want that convenience. And I think that there's going to be at least some price that we're willing to pay for that. I, I think people understand that that's not free, but it will be it will be interesting to see how much of a shift that is and and whether it stays. And I have to think, especially among like working parents, um, that that that's something that's going to be appealing long term. And again, I think the pricing could be an issue, but I think it's definitely appealing. Absolutely. We'll have to get together again for the 2021 analysis to see, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> to see how much uh, of a change year over year the, the shipping component is. It'd be very, very interesting to watch that trend unfold. Right. You mentioned that you have a personal shopper that does all of this analysis, how did she land on the places that she lands? I mean, obviously you want, like you mentioned that you wanted consistency from year to year because that keeps the index, it, it keeps it honest, right? Um, but how how did she decide or you guys decide that you're going to use Philodenco or you're going to use a certain aviary? Like how did that conversation come about? Because you've been doing this for a while now. 
Well, we have been doing it for quite some time, and I may have to punt on this answer a little bit because I was not part of uh, the analysis back in 1984 when we kicked this, this right. whole process off. But I think that the goal of it at the time, you know, PNC is not headquartered in Philadelphia, but we have a very big presence in Philadelphia. We're obviously headquartered in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. But the team that was doing the analysis was based in Philadelphia. And so what they were trying to do was really get a very representative sample of what was going on in the Philadelphia area as it related to um, prices, consumption, inflation, and so on. And so they really did a lot of work early on to try to find organizations uh, that potentially had staying power. Of course, after 37 you know, plus years of doing this, we've seen businesses uh, come and go. And we didn't do the internet version of the index way back in the day either. That was right. something that came on the scene much later with the rise of the internet and the evolution of e-commerce. And so it was more about just trying to get kind of a local feel and flavor for, you know, what was going on, what consumers might actually be experiencing. And that's how they landed on a number of Philly, uh, Southern New Jersey, Delaware-based providers. Right. And obviously, it's been a success or, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go to the effort of doing it every year. What kind of reception do you guys get generally? Like, I know that I'm excited to see it every year, and I know that your um, your art department does some some fun uh, distribution like graphics. So, do you hear from clients who say that was really cool to see this year, or do you do you personally get to to hear how the index performs, like in terms of social? Oh, absolutely. So, there's a lot of buzz around it every year. It's always a fun, kind of long-awaited unveiling. This week in particular is uh, there's a lot of buzz associated with rolling it all out. So yeah, we get a lot of interest and feedback from clients and and prospects, and it's just a fun kind of lighthearted way to kick off the holiday season. And mm-hmm. let's be honest, uh, given how challenging <laughs> 2020 has been, unprecedented in so many ways, we can all use a little bit of lighthearted fun, and so. This is really just intended to be a fun take on market and economic behavior instead of just kind of slogging through a lot of data and analysis. It's a fun way to kind of connect broader uh, concepts that we're seeing in the markets and the economy and kind of bring it to life in more of an educational type of way. Right. And when you're looking at the um, the trends this year, and obviously, again, we've discussed some of them are are out of the ordinary because this has been a very extraordinary year. I've had some conversations with other folks about what they see long-term and it seems like everybody's really mixed. Do you have an understanding that you don't have a crystal ball? Are you optimistic when you see the trends this year? Like, do you think, you know, maybe are they more steady than you hoped? Do you think it signals that 2021, once the hopefully the pandemic is gone means that things are on their way to being better? Or is it just too early to tell? Or do you have any kind of sense of where you feel like the economy is trending? Well, I wouldn't say that, you know, the the trends and what's happening with the birds necessarily <laughs> going to gauge what's going to happen sure. in 2021. We are in the final stages of putting together our 2021 
investment outlook. And yes, believe it or not, after everything that we have been through this year, we are feeling uh, pretty optimistic about you know the start of 2021 and how things may work out over the course of the year. The challenge and the wild card really in terms of gauging the trajectory of the path forward and the outlook, it comes back to COVID, unfortunately. And with COVID still very much lingering, or even let's just say at the forefront, given how fast cases have been rising lately, that's going to be the key to the path forward. And why do I say that? Because I think it will have a lot of influence and impact over the timing and the magnitude of fiscal stimulus. So that that's not necessarily something that's captured in the Christmas price index, but it will be an important part of helping kind of bridge, continue to bridge the gap for the economy into the new year. It will most certainly have an impact on monetary policy. So the Fed has basically said they're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. And so with the Fed being the buyer of last resort and the backstop uh, for the economy and the markets with the expansion of its balance sheet and staying in a very highly accommodative policy place, we think that's actually very supportive for markets and the economy in the new year. The wild card you know, really comes down to COVID in terms of the impact on how fast we see an earnings growth acceleration and how mm-hmm. fast we see economic growth pick up. And so we're a little bit cautious kind of going right into the new year from here. We think the first quarter could be a little choppy as, you know, something like more than, let's say more than 50% of US GDP is tied up in states that are in some form of restriction, economic restriction. Mm -hmm. And so until we get this economy fully reopened, I think things can be a little bit choppy. But we don't feel like the markets or the economy are looking back at, you know, the springtime lows by any means, not with all of the stimulus that's kind of sitting in the system as fundamental or underlying support. So I think I would characterize my outlook as a little bit cautious, choppy in the first call it half of the year, but a much more optimistic view coming into focus in the second half as the vaccines get distributed more broadly, and hopefully we get closer to herd immunity, um, it should be a really, really strong second half. But again, at the end of the day, it comes back to the pace and timing of flattening that COVID curve. Awesome. Well, I have one fun question for the end, which is, I know that Santa's sleigh is not likely to bring, you know, geese or swans to your house, but have you or any of your family asked Santa for anything particularly interesting this year? Oh, my goodness. Well, my girls are fixated on asking Santa for puppies. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we have we have <laughs> cautioned uh, that Santa does not uh, typically bring live animals. Yes. <laughs> Having you know millions of puppies in a sleigh seems like a little bit of a risky endeavor. It does. It <laughs> does. Flying around the globe. But that is definitely at the top of my my girls Christmas list this year. So We'll have to see how that plays out. Fun. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been terrific. Um, If folks have questions or they want to find out more about PNC, where would you direct them? The website that I would direct them to is www.pncchristmaspriceindex.com and it launches on December 3rd. Awesome. And we will make sure that we link to that in the show notes. Thanks again for being here. This has been terrific. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.